I have observed that it is 11.10. Perhaps you have also observed this. But we're not going to panic. We're not going to worry because God's got us covered. Um, However, what we are going to do is we're going to divert, right? So sometimes there's a detour in life. And so we're not going to be in Philippians 1 again today because I'd I'd rather not rush that and shortchange uh, the message that God has given. Instead, we're going to be in Colossians 2. Instead, today we're going to be in Colossians 2. Uh, If you have a a borrowed black Bible, um, it's on page 1044. And if you're with us today and you don't have a Bible or any other day, feel free to grab one of these. They're in the foyer on the left side as you walk in, right side on the way out. It is really valuable for your eyes to be on the Word, for you to be reading the Word uh, each week. God says that His Scriptures are effective and powerful in our lives and they certainly are. So again, that's Colossians 2. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Uh, But before we get into that, let's take a moment in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, A lot has already gone on. I think about how we've worshipped, how we prayed and sung Hosanna, which is salvation, that the the highest salvation is here, the greatest form of salvation is here. Uh, This Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. Uh, we, We shared the Lord's table And James brought us to a place where we recognize that that God is wanting to commune with us, that you are wanting to come into our lives to spend time with us, to engage with us. Not not necessarily the physical meal being the priority, Father, but that relationship that happens uh, over a meal with those that we love. And we pray, God, that you would continue to keep us in fellowship with you. And then we've just gotten a, a challenging update, encouraging and challenging about your work in Iceland, the things that you're doing through the Joneses and their church in Reykjavik, and the things that you're preparing them for. And so we just want to thank you for these things. Lord, we also want to ask that you would bless our time learning, that you would bless me as I teach this uh, little chunk of scripture today, that your spirit would be moving and helping us to understand uh, what your word is saying to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about gratitude a little bit, and we're going to kind of shoehorn this into our gratitude series. Um, Have you ever purchased a product and it claims like it's going to be enough, but then it's not actually enough to get the job done? Uh, One time I was uh, removing some really stuck lug nuts from my truck, and uh, they weren't moving. Um, The brakes had gotten overheated. That caused a bit of a problem, a little bit of seizing up going on. And so my lug wrench wasn't moving it. And then I got my impact gun, and that wasn't moving it. And then I got my impact gun, my air impact gun, which isn't very powerful, so that wasn't moving it. So then it was time to get the breaker bar. Guys, you know what a breaker bar is? It's a big, long bar that's uh, supposed to help you get more leverage. So I get the breaker bar on there. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not a small fellow. And uh, I apply my strength uh, to the breaker bar, if we can call it that. And I'm also aware of the fact that when you have something stuck, you can't just sort of try to turn perpetually. What you do then is you break stuff with the breaker bar, like the heads of bolts. And this is something that you don't want to do. So I'm applying torque appropriately. I'm attempting to pop it off with impact. And all of a sudden, I feel it move. And I'm so excited. And I pull my breaker bar away. But I didn't pull my whole breaker bar away. You see the the stud on the end of the breaker bar that went into the socket? That moved. That moved. Uh, But the lug nut didn't move. Nothing was turning. It was not a good situation. It turned out that that product that was supposed to be adequate for the job, inadequate for the job. Right. Inadequate for the job. 
Now, why does this matter to you? Because you and I are going to face things in life where we are not sure that we have received what we need to adequately get the job done. We're not sure that we have found what it takes, that we have been given or we have received the strength that we need to overcome and accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish. This is the exact place that the Colossian church was in. When you look at the book of Colossians, uh, it's this beautiful letter, letter to a church that Paul did not plant, and he's building them up, them up in their faith because they are not sure that Jesus is sufficient. They are not sure that he is really great enough. And so they're doing what so many other people do well. They're collecting other ways to find their life complete and sufficient. You do this in your home. Uh, some of us, we pay for television in our house, and it's because where we live, how many channels can you get over the air? Some of us can get like four. Uh, I can't get any at my house because of the trees. So if I don't have some sort of outside television come in, I don't have any television to watch, which I know is a deep, deep tragedy, and my soul would weep over my lack of evening entertainment choices. <laughs> Some of us find that when we have those over-the-air channels, they're not enough, and so what do we do? We get cable, and if you get basic cable, what do you find? There's not enough on, so what do you need to do? You need to get an expanded package of cable, but then you discover that the expanded package of cable, in fact, just has more junk. And so there's something missing. And so I know people, they've had like uh, charter cable or spectrum cable, and then they've got like the dish network, and then they have like subscription services, and then they have like a wall of movies, right? And it's because they have not found something that's going to keep them entertained all of the time. If that's you, we do not disparage you. We love you. This is how I grew up, and uh, it's okay, right? Because we know that television is a very neutral thing. So there's no condemnation. We're just describing a situation. But the Colossians were doing that spiritually. Yes, Jesus promised everlasting life, but what about my family? What about my house? Is Jesus really going to take care of my family? Is Jesus really going to build up our household? What about, what about my business? Is Jesus really going to bless my business and take care of me financially? What about my psychological health and my emotional well-being? Is Jesus really going to care for me psychologically and, and, and take care of my well-being? What about our church family? I mean, yes, Jesus has everlasting life, but church is complicated and difficult. Don't we need some outside advice, some sort of outside power, a consultant, uh, some other information that's going to help our church family thrive? Don't we, don't we need something aside from Jesus? I mean, he was here, and he's invisible now, and so that makes it hard to trust him. Shouldn't we find some other sources besides Jesus for what we need? And the answer, of course, is no. But we know the answer, and I think they knew the answer. The challenge is, is that while our brain is saying that we know that Jesus is enough, often we're drawn into grabbing a hold of other things aside from Jesus so that we feel okay. In other words, even though we're very secure in Christ, we tend to maybe start to function out of insecurity. Instead of recognizing how much we've been blessed, we start to function out of a sense of lack or missing something. And when we do that, what we do is we probably keep Jesus, but we start adding other things to make life whole, to make life complete. This is a normal human situation because you, in yourself, you were created by the divine creator who loves you and knows everything about you to need stability, to need regularity, to need goodness in your life. 
The problem is, is because of your sin nature, which is the, the nature that is born and rebelling against God, not pursuing him, not believing in him, instead running away from him, and the world we live in, you are often going to find yourself convinced that you need more than Christ. But you don't, because Christ is enough for you. But it's challenging because sometimes there's a gap between that desire and that holy expectation and the accomplishment of that desire. And that's very challenging for us because we live in a culture of now, right? Any Amazon Prime subscribers in the room? It's a beautiful thing, right? You know what I love about Amazon Prime? Is that I can't get across the river with my schedule before Amazon can get me the thing that I want at my house. And you know what else I like about Amazon Prime? Is that if I have an urge to find something, they have it right then. You know what I hate about Amazon Prime? That very same thing. Because I have a few boxes of things that I really needed in the moment that it turns out that, well, they're in the garage, right? Okay, good. We got that out of the way, right? So sometimes our human and immediate desires actually leave us wanting. And so Paul is speaking into that. And when we realize, when we realize that Jesus is enough, that is going to produce a deep level of peace in you, a fantastic amount of security and strength in you, which is what your soul really needs. It's several of the things that you need to really thrive as a human being. So we're talking about your thriving, the goodness of life for you. So Philippians, or I'm sorry, Colossians 2, chapter 1 says, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, thank you, says this, for I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior. In him are, all, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow. Okay, so the, the Laodiceans were falling into something that we think. If we had all the right knowledge, then everything would be good. If I just knew more about it, then I could get by. If I just had more understanding, then I would get through it. You know how I know that, that we have the same issue? Because we have Google, and we have DuckDuckGo, and we have Wikipedia, because we believe that knowledge is power, right? The reality is you and I have more knowledge than we can possibly put into place. So knowledge is knowledge. And power is power, and sometimes they collide. And so the Colossians were thinking that more knowledge meant more power. So they were seeking power through knowledge outside of Jesus. But let's look at the text more closely. Paul says that he desires for them to know. He has this desire for them to understand something about him. And it's not because he wants to be understood. It's because he wants them to trust and understand why he is writing to them. You know, Elliot said that when they did the serial thing outside of the college, people were like, what are you protesting? That tells you a whole lot about that culture over there, right? And, and then beyond that, what's the gimmick? Like, you're just going to give me cereal and then nothing? Like, is this secret death cereal? Am I going to die in the morning? Uh, am I going to get a credit card bill later, like letting me know that that cereal was $17 for the bowl and the milk was a $15 add-on, right? Like, is, is this, what am I really walking into? And so there's a distrust of grace. So Paul said, I haven't seen you, but I love you. 
I don't know you and you don't know me, but I have good desires for you. And so I want you to listen to me. And so this is his desire. He has been, or his desire for them to know. He has been struggling for them. Now, uh, when we use the term agony in our culture, what does that mean? Pain, right? You go to the doctor and he's like, how are you? And you're like, I have been agonizing. What is he getting ready to do? He's getting ready to diagnose you. Why have you been agonizing? Where is the pain? What is the difficulty? How can we help you? Do you need physical therapy? Do you need a prescription? Do you need physical therapy and a prescription? Do you need to see a counselor? How can we fix you, right? But Paul is saying, I have been agonizing for you. And this is a positive thing. So agonizing isn't just pain, it's working hard, right? Anybody do something physical with this week that caused you to sweat? So in the Greek, you were agonizing, okay? You were working hard. Now there's degrees of agony, right? Because some of you sweat just getting to the kitchen in the morning, right? And some of you, it takes a lot to make you sweat. Uh, and, and so there's an extensiveness of agonizing. And Paul is emphasizing, I have been struggling mightily for you. But Paul just said he'd never met him. In fact, they'd never laid eyes on Paul. So how is it that Paul has been agonizing for them? In what way has Paul been struggling to the point of sweating, of working hard for them? He's been working for them spiritually. He's been concerned for their well-being spiritually. And so he has been spending time before the throne of grace, knowing that Jesus can give him what he needs as Paul. But not only that, Jesus can give them what they need. Paul has been striving, agonizing spiritually for them. I think this is why Paul's ministry was so powerful. Paul was not driven by his own ego or his own desires. He was driven by grace. He was driven by God's spiritual power. He appeared before the Lord and he pled on behalf of people he loved for the goodness in their life. Brothers and sisters, powerful churches are churches that emphasize this ministry of prayer. It's not just intercession for sick people. It's intercession for the spiritual well-being of others. Paul is not just concerned for their physical health. I'm sure he's a little concerned for that. But even more so, he's concerned for their spiritual health. And he's recognizing that they may be falling into deception, thinking that Jesus isn't enough and looking for someone else to take care of them aside from Jesus. And so he has been struggling for them in prayer, agonizing for them, knowing that they need to be strengthened by his ministry. And he says this about them. He gives us an insight into his prayer life. I want their hearts to be encouraged. I want their hearts to be encouraged. When your heart is discouraged, you are at risk of being deceived. When your heart is discouraged, you are at risk of being deceived. Because why? Because your heart is going to become hungry for something. How many of you have had chapped lips? How many of you have had really bad chapped lips to the point where they're like cracked and they're painful and it hurts to talk and it hurts to drink and you just want them to feel better? Well, when we become discouraged, that can proceed. Our heart can proceed to that place where it is like a chapped lip, where it is cracked, where it is hurting, where it is in deep need. And when humans are in deep need, they grab a hold of anything that can comfort them. I remember one of my sons, the first time he uh, was dealing with chapped lips, he wanted to take a wet rag 
and put that cool wet rag on his lips because it felt so good. And I was like, oh son, don't do that. He's like, why? Why? Why won't you let me do this, dad? It's the only thing that makes them feel better. And I said, because it's only going to make them worse, son. It's only going to make them worse. And then I basically had to sit on him and take the Vaseline and like, and then the hard part of that is that often when the medicine comes in, it starts to feel even worse when we're chafed and chaffed, right? Because the dryness has created numbness. And this is part of having a discouraged heart is that often we feel numb. And when Christ comes in with his compassion and love and he takes away the hurt a little bit and the fear and the shame and his spirit says, I'm gonna lead you to healing and wholeness, that's when we start to really feel the painful position that our heart has been in. That's when we really start to notice the deep need that we have inside. At that moment, we need to remember that Jesus is sufficient, that we don't need anyone else aside from him to heal our hurting hearts, to encourage us in the place of discouragement. And so Paul's first prayer is for encouragement. Now, to encourage means to put strength into something, right? To give something strength, to invigorate it, right? So encouragement is like a cup of coffee for you caffeine addicts in the morning, right? Me too, by the way. It's that thing that sort of knocks the sleep away. It shakes the rust off. Encouragement is like WD-40 on that stuck bolt. It gets things moving. Encouragement is like hitting the accelerator when you're passing somebody. It's fueling you up. Encouragement is strength that is placed within to get you moving forward. And so Paul prays that their hearts would be encouraged specifically encouraged in Christ. Is your heart encouraged in Christ? See, when you're discouraged, we hunt for things that will encourage us. I've fallen prey to this before. I'm having a bad day, and I just start hunting for something that seems better than what I've got right now. Well, at least I had a nice warm cup of coffee. At least my dog still loves me. At least my pickup truck's still in the driveway. You know, you start to live that country song life where we're just jumping from thing to thing to thing that sort of makes us feel better. The problem is that places us in a place of consuming things. And soon we'll find that we're consuming other people because they're just a source of making us feel better for the moment. And if they don't make us feel better in the moment, then we're going to react to them according to our personal pain instead of the person they are in Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants them to be encouraged. And the Holy Spirit wants you to be encouraged in Christ. So what do you do today if you're not encouraged in Christ? Well, the first thing we do anytime we have a spiritual problem is we pray. We invite the Lord into the situation. We ask for his revelation that he would show us what's really going on. We pray that he would bring us to his word, which is spiritual food for us and spiritual milk for us, nourishing, nourishing us so that we might be strengthened. I think the next thing we do is we find someone who can walk with us. The book of Ecclesiastes says that uh, one person walking alone is rather weak, but two people walking together, they bring a good return to their labor. And three people together, well, that's a cord of three that cannot be broken. There's great strength there. And so if you are discouraged, you need a sister in Christ to come alongside you, ladies. You need a brother in Christ to come alongside you, gentlemen. And you need that relationship to be centered on the Holy Spirit and what his work is going to do. You need to take the risk of inviting someone else in and saying, I'm hurting and discouraged in this way. Will you walk alongside me? Will you pray that the Lord encourages me? 
Would you be willing to take the risk of encouragement towards me so that I might be made whole in Christ again? The next thing that Paul prays for is that they would be joined together in love. That they would be joined together in love. You know, Christ is forming his church. He promises that. And he refers to us as a body, as a physical body. But that body needs to be knit together. You and your body, you have connective tissue that holds your body together. It's not just the skin that's holding you together. Skin's rather flexible. If your skin was holding it all together, you would look really weird. You would like, look like a silicon blob, some sort of weird like thing, you know, moving around. But you have an infrastructure and you have bones. And beyond that, you have connective tissue that makes everything work together in your body. In the church family, we do have a structure. We have elders and deacons. We have orderliness. God is a God of order, amen. And we have all of you, and you're the parts of the body, and you're, you're the muscles, and, and you're, the, you're the organs, and you're the hands, and you're the feet, and we're not going to describe which organ you are, right? But you have been given a job in the church, and you have an important function to do, and you're here, and that matters. But the thing that keeps us all together, the thing that makes us work together in unity is love. Have you ever had a part of your body not working together in love with the rest of the body? It seems like for me, it's my stomach. My initials are CNG. And one day, my mom lovingly pointed out at the gas station that they had CNG, which meant compressed natural gas. And she said, sometimes, honey, I think that's you. That you are just compressed natural gas. My whole life, my stomach has always been revolting, right? It's always been rebelling against the purpose of the rest of my body. It makes me feel sick even when I'm not actually sick. Now that's because it's not connected. I mean, it's connected, but it's not working right with the rest of the body. And when the body is experiencing a lack of love, it's going to experience a lack of fruitfulness. It's not going to feel like Christ is sufficient in that church. You're going to walk in and you're going to go, there's something missing here. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something that's not quite right in the church. And this is it. It's this foundation of agape love. God's perfect love made manifest in our midst makes the invisible Christ visible, says the Apostle John to the churches that he writes to in 1 John. He says, agape in your midst makes Jesus alive and in the flesh to the people in the church. It also makes Jesus alive and in the flesh to the people outside of the church. And so he prays that these churches would be joined together in love. And maybe this is your church home. Maybe you're just visiting us from another church. Maybe this is just your first experience at church. Either way, I'm glad that you're all here. But is your church something that is knit together in love? And are you knit in that church in love? See, sometimes people have weird commitments, weird reasons they show up to church. Sometimes we show up to church and we're hoping to get something. We're hoping to receive a word. We want to be spiritually zinged. There's a friend there that we want to connect with. I've seen people show up to church because they want a boyfriend or girlfriend, somebody who goes to that church. They're interested in them romantically. I've seen people show up to church out of duty. I've seen people show up to church out of shame. None of those reasons really hold a church together. I mean, they maybe will for a little while, but they don't ultimately build up the church. And so you need to ask yourself, am I being connected to this church in love? Who am I loving in this church? Where am I experiencing love? See, sometimes when we start to make this assessment and we realize there's a lack of love, we start to become very self-focused and self-centered in this. And we can think, we can think that what's really wrong is that nobody loves me. But when we become that way, what we're demonstrating 
is that we are a person without love. We are a person without agape. Think about agape in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God. When he came down to earth, did he walk around letting everybody know, I'm a really big deal. I am the Son of God incarnate. All power and authority is going to reside in me. I'm going to judge all of the nations. I have power in my right hand. You better do what I say. I'm really an important guy. Angels adore me. Heaven and earth will fall before me. I'm going to slay all my enemies with a rod coming from my mouth. Was that his ministry? No. What was his ministry? A ministry of humble love and service. He came to his own, and his own did not know him. And in fact, they rejected him. When we talk about being knit together in love, yes, you need to receive love. But the reality is, is that until we're really let, willing to let agape love flow out of us, often we don't really receive agape love coming back into us, even though it's there. See, a church is a lot like a power outlet. Is there power in the power outlet? You better believe it. You stick a fork in that sucker, you're going to know, right? There's power in that power outlet. And we're like lamps, and we're wondering, how come, how come I'm not turning on in here? How come nothing's cranking me up? Well, if you haven't plugged into the agape flow, you're not going to receive it. Did you know that when your lamp is plugged in, it doesn't just receive power, it gives power back? If it's not, it's not connected to the circuit. The same thing happens in the church. If you're not connected to the flow of agape, eventually it's not going to feel like agape at all. It's going to be nice for a minute, but it's not going to be this building up, connecting love. And then Paul says this, and this is why Paul wants us built up and encouraged in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, the Christ. Isn't that awesome? That this encouragement and this love, what does it do? It brings us into a place of secure understanding, knowing that Jesus is enough knowing that we don't have to go somewhere else, knowing that we don't have to hunt for some mystery, some other product, some other person who's going to work in our lives. Instead, all we need to do is pursue Jesus as much as possible. The level of Paul's agony for the churches needed to be mirrored by the church's pursuit of Jesus and his love in their midst. See, that's really what a church does, is it makes Christ known the hope of God's glory, Christ in us, is what we live out together. And so we walk around with encouragement in our hearts, with love moving from ourselves to other people, and then Jesus is manifest, and somehow in the midst of that, we know the mystery of God in Christ, that you who were far away have been brought near by God's love through faith, and that all who believe can be reconciled to God, or not can be, are reconciled to God through Jesus, and you now live in an eternal relationship with the creator of your soul who is working in you to produce a weight of eternal glory and bring you to the place where your hope in him is complete and that he is the one to accomplish that. Isn't that an awesome thing? That's really what this is supposed to be, the church. It's supposed to be a smorgasbord of God's goodness where we walk around and we have the ability to connect and encourage. And what does it take? It takes a spiritual work in us, which is why Paul is doing a spiritual work for those churches. That's why the elders gather every week to pray for you, because it's a spiritual work to transform you. That's why I'm going to pray for you right now.
So I want you to think for a minute. Where are you at in this? Do you need encouragement? Do you need to be built up in love? Do you need to know the power and presence of Jesus in your life more so that you have strength to live each day with him and for him? Are you connected to a church family in love? This family or another family? Are you in a place where you're giving the love of Christ to others? And are you in a place where you're able to receive that love of Christ from others? And if not, then let's invite Christ in to break down those barriers of giving and receiving. Are you in a place where you put your faith in Christ? Or are you just checking us out? And if you put your place in Christ, I just, I'm so thankful for you and I want to encourage you to grow in Christ. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, I'm also thankful for you because I know that Jesus is seeking after you and the spirit of the living God is inviting you in and he wants you to know his goodness and his love. And most of all, he wants you to know that you have everlasting life by placing your faith in Jesus, specifically as the one who is the giver and guarantor of your everlasting life. And he says when you do that, then you have a place in heaven. And not only that, you have a place in Christ right now, and he begins to transform your life. So let's take these three things to the Lord, and let's pray for one another right now. Uh, Father, I thank you for my church family here. They are such a blessing to me. I thank you, Father, for my fellow elders and, and those who serve so arduously and ardently in this church family to, to make it everything that it is. I thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing in our midst. Father, I want to lift up right now those who are not feeling encouraged, who are feeling discouraged. Life has been bringing it to them recently, and they are feeling chapped in their hearts and in their souls. They're fearing, feeling worn and weary. I thank you that you are a God who invites us in when we're weary. You don't make us work to come to you. Instead, you say, come alongside me, and I will teach you to walk in a way that is not weary, but filled with my strength, and I will carry your burden, and I will take your load, so that your load is just knowing me and walking with me. Father, I pray right now that you would encourage them through the power of your spirit, that their hearts and their lives would know your goodness and presence in their midst, that the things that are concerning to them, Father, that they would place them into your hands, knowing that you are capable and you are caring and you are good and that they can trust you. And so, Father, build up their faith so that they might be encouraged in your strength, in your might, in your power, in your love. Father, I want to pray for those who are feeling disconnected from a church family. They're here, but they're not really invested. They're receiving, but they're not really giving. They're tasting, but they're not participating and generating more and more of your love. Father, would you draw them into plugging in? Would you help them to find people to connect with, places to grow spiritually through Bible study and fellowship, a place to serve in, Father, so that this circuit of agape love might be completed, that they might shine like a light, Father, in the midst of the darkness of this world right now. Father, I pray for those who do not know you yet. I ask, Father, that you would be revealing yourself to them, that they would see and hear and know about Jesus through this church, through friends and family who've been praying for them and long for them to know you, through a moment of placing their faith in you, Father. And for those who have given themselves to this faith, God, who have trusted in Jesus today, I pray that they would know fully how much this means to you, that they would remember and see that there's a celebration right now happening in heaven because they have faith in you, because there is a place for them at your table, because you put a place card where you're welcoming them and you're, you're longing for them to be in your presence more and more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.